Baruchim Abayim. Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of the subject of Simha. We are in class number six. We've gone the last five classes through the different through the different advantages <clears throat> and all the valuable reasons why one needs simcha in their life. As obvious as it may seem, but we learned that it's a lot more than just feeling good. It actually is connected to anything and everything that's important in our lives. Today we're going to begin to explain how a person is able to achieve this simha in their lives. We're going to start with the words of the Havot Levavot, who in his famous Hakdama of Shara Behina asks. Why is it that although Hashem has showered humanity with such kindness, nobody could say they haven't received and continue to receive endless amount of kindness that they didn't pay for, we can say they didn't deserve, And despite that this covers all humanity, like the Pasuk says, Tov Adonai Lakol. Everybody's getting good. If we're sitting here, that means we already have good just by being able to come here and sit down and breathe. And many, many more things. So he says if everybody is receiving so much free good. He says, still we find that people are like blind men or blind women, that they don't recognize them. And they don't appreciate the great value of what they have. And he wants to know why this is so. Why is it that people aren't enjoying what Hashem blessed them with and continues to do so? He gives three reasons. Reason number one. He says that people are usually very busy in this world, trying to get more pleasure than what they already have. 
and they have constant desires for things that haven't yet reached them. And he says, because of that, they don't think about and they don't appreciate the things they already have because their mind is always on to the next thing. And even when they get the next thing, almost immediately, they're thinking about the next thing. And because of that, he says, Me'atot be'enehim. It is small in their eyes. Hatovot harabot. Oh, they know they have a lot of good things. But in their eyes, it's quite small. Uktanot etzlam. Hamatanot agedolot. The great gifts are tiny in their eyes. He says, and it can get to the point because of this attitude, the attitude of, I need to get that, I'm missing this. He said, it can get to a situation where they start looking around and when other people have what they're looking for, they almost feel like that was taken away from them. They have that. How come I don't have that? In simple English, I think the Havot Lavavot is saying that I think it seems that all of us are at least one item away from achieving happiness. That's the way Hashem made us. That we're always one item away. Maybe two. But there's always that one thing. That if I just had that one, I'm good. If only I could get married, I'm good. That's it. I, it's just one thing. It's, I don't need more than that. If I just had a child, that's it. I'm good. If I just got this deal, if I just got this job, if I only got into this school, if I could only take care of this issue that I have in my leg, I'm done, I'm good. If only my son would be healthier, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. Obviously, all of these comments, and many, many millions of more, more of those, is absolutely false. Because every one of those items, I can show you someone who doesn't have it, and yet, oh excuse me, who has it, and still wants something else. But the way Hashem made us 
that there's always going to be something in our lives that's the break, that's the block between us and our happiness. It's going to be that way always. And our challenge is going to be not taking away that wall because there's always going to be a wall. You're never going to be able to say, I have everything. There's always going to be something. And not that we shouldn't want things. But we should not excuse ourselves that we're not happy because of that. Because there's always going to be a that. That's a constant in our lives. When we were little, it was the bike that we wanted so badly and our parents just wouldn't get it for us. And we thought to ourselves, if we just got that bike, just like our friends have that bike, life would be perfect. How could I be unhappy if I have the bike that I'm waiting six months for? But as we know, after you get the bike, within a very short time, you're thinking about the next item in your life. And as we grow older and more mature, the toys just get bigger and the items seem more important and even more frustrating. Whether it's the car that we need to have or the better card that we're looking for. I mean, how can a 15 or 16 year old be unhappy if they could actually drive? That's what they think. A 16 year old says, if I could drive, if I had my own car, I can never have an unhappy moment in my life. It's going to be perfect until they get the car and realize that, you know what? I think I need a nicer car. That's probably what it is because that one didn't do it. I think if I got a better car, then I can get it. And things just continue. Like I said, the toys get bigger, more expensive, and sometimes things that are much more real can start to take over our minds. Like our children, like our future, But for sure, we should always remember, there's always going to be something. There's a pasuk in Tehillim that when you read it, you first don't even know what it's talking about. It reports to us about our fathers in Egypt. The Pasuk is introduced by saying, Avotenu Mitzrayim, our fathers in Egypt, they did not properly understand your wonders. Which means they didn't properly remember the kindness that you did for them. What did they do wrong? What, what example does the Pasuk in Tehillim want to give us about such an attitude? 
where you totally ignore, you don't recall, you forget the abundant kindness that Hashem gave you? Where, where is that? So the Pasuk says, Vayamru al yam. They rebelled against God by the Yamsuf. And the Pasuk continues, Be Yamsuf. In Yamsuf. So again, let's read the, the Pasuk together. Vayamru, and they rebelled. Al Yam, by the Yam. Be Yamsuf. In the Yamsuf. The Midrash says, Mahu Shene Pe'amim. Usually you would say, Vayamru al Yamsuf. Finish. What does it mean? They rebelled by the Yam in Yamsuf. Says the Midrash, why twice? Ela al Hayam Himru. Says the Midrash. There were two rebellions by Yamsuf. What was the first one? Shelo Hayu Rotsim Lered. They were standing by the Yamsuf. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Go. Jump. No one wants to go. Everyone's inviting the other person. They should go first. Until Shevet Yehuda jumped in. That's what we say in the Hallel. Betzet Yisrael mimitzrayim. Bet Yaakov me'am lo'ez. When Am Yisrael left Egypt. Hayeta Yehuda lekocho. Yehuda did something that raised the value of his Shevet. He became Shevet Yehuda, which is the future of David HaMelech, and the future will be Mashiach. Because only they were willing to jump in. That was considered a rebellion. Says the Midrash, and what did they do in the Yamsuf? What rebellion happened while they were experiencing the greatest miracle, perhaps, of the history of the world? Could you imagine the Atlantic Ocean opens up lanes and people are walking through the lanes while the water is standing up on the sides? You're experiencing perhaps the greatest moment in history. You can't believe what's going on around you. Don't forget, you have Parao behind you, chasing you. You have nowhere to go. And just then, this miracle happens. Says the Midrash, Kevan sheyardu letochayam, when they were in the Yamsuf, Hayam Aletit was full of mud. Obviously, it was wet with water, and now it's muddy. Vehaya Omer Reuven Leshimon. Two Jews were telling each other. Reuven would tell Shimon. He says, Be Mitzrayim Betit. You know what? We came from the mud. In Egypt, what were we doing? All day in mud. Finally, it took us out of Egypt. It took us out from the mud. Ubayamtit. We're back to the mud. Bemitzrayim, behemaru, belvenim. When we were in Egypt, clay, 
bricks. We're back to the same clay. That's what it means. They rebelled by the Yamsuf. They didn't want to jump in. That much we could understand. Someone tells you to jump into the Atlantic Ocean, you and your children, you never heard of Yamsuf before splitting. I think we could understand that. But the second one is very shocking. Bay Yamsuf. There, imagine you're walking through the Yamsuf. Your life was just saved. You can't believe what you're watching on the right and the left. And yet, you turn around and you start complaining that there's mud on your shoes. How could you complain at that moment, at that miracle, that we can't even imagine what that looks like? You believe that two people were complaining about mud in their shoes while they're crossing the Yam Suf? Is that the picture you imagined when it says, Az Yashir Moshe of Israel? I don't know how many people actually did this, I can't say, but I guess it was enough to note it in the Pasuk, Avotenu be Mitzrayim. I don't know how many. Maybe it was two, maybe it was 200, I don't know. But even if one person did it, it would be a shock. But it's not a shock. Because that's life. That no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you have, no matter what miracles you're experiencing, there's always going to be something that you're missing. I ask you a question. Couldn't Hashem get rid of the mud? Why does there have to be mud in the Yamsuf? I mean, He split the sea already. So make it beautiful carpet. Nice, thick, comfortable, dry, lush carpet. Why not put marble? Clean. Already you're taking them out in a miraculous way. Take them out with style. Why not complete the job? The whole thing is a miracle. Perhaps because that's not real life. Even though Hashem made a miracle for them, but they were still alive. And they were still humans. And part of being human is that you can never have everything. And there's always going to be something. It could be a muddy shoe, or it could be a spouse, or it could be a child. It could be a health issue. It could be financial. It could be a car. It could be a bike. But part of being human is there's always one thing. That if you just had that, you'd be fine. Just get the mud off my shoes. I would be so happy right now. I'm so, ugh, I can't walk like this. If Hashem would make it perfect, then they would not be human anymore. 
because the human reality is you're always at least one wall away from your happiness. This was not the only example. We find another shocking example. If we didn't read about this a hundred times, we would think, can't be. The Torah tells us that in this desert, Am Yisrael began to complain. They complained about the man. The man was this amazing diet that Am Yisrael ate. There was no waste from the man. It never caused any kind of stomach issues. According to the Midrash, it tasted like anything you wanted. Whatever you were in the mood for, you got. It was a spiritual food that elevated the person spiritually, if you can imagine such a thing. Imagine you go to class and you hear a great class and you're, ah, oh, you feel spiritual. You feel like you were just raised. The man, you could just have lunch and you feel like you're in Shemaim. Nice, imagine having lunch and becoming like on a high. And what are they saying about the man? Vayivku, they started to cry. They said, Zacharnu et hadaga. Remember the fish? Remember the fish? We missed those fish. We ate them in Egypt for free. Remember the good old days in Egypt? Remember that? Hakishuim. The squash. Remember the squash we used to eat? When was the last time we saw squash? Abatihim. The melons. All right, the melons. How can we forget the melons in Egypt? If you heard them talking, you would think that they were on some resort island for a year with all the extras they were getting. Oh yeah, how about the leek? Who can forget the leek? The leek soup that we used to have. The et betzalim. Look what they're dreaming about. The onions. Remember the onions? We haven't seen onions in maybe a year or so. Veta shumim, how about the garlic? We missed the garlic. And you read this and say, is this for real? What is wrong with these people? Veata. And now, after those good old days, Imagine, tomorrow try it for lunch. Have squash with melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. See how good that tastes, that combo. Ve'ata, and the difference today, nafshenu yevesha. Our soul is dry and cold. 
We have nothing. All we see with our eyes is man. Man in the morning, man in the afternoon, man the next day. On Shabbat there's man. We're tired of the man. You know, when you read that, you say, oh, wow, you know, okay, we understand every day, man, every day. You know what it's like? It's like a guy saying, you know something, I can't take it anymore. I keep getting wires of $10 million every day in my account. I can't, every day, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Every day, $10 million, every day. Let them take a day off. What were they saying? Bilti ilhaman enenu. The man is something amazing. And here, here, the Torah goes out of its way. As Rashi points out, that Hashem says, Re'u ba'e olam alma mitlonenim banayim. As an introduction, Rashi says, the response of Hashem is, look, my dear children, excuse me, look, ba'e olam, all humans, look what my children are complaining about. Because the next pasuk says, vehaman, you know what these people are complaining about? The man, kizra gadhu, ve'eno ke'en habedolah, which means it was a special food. It had a beautiful color. All they saw was man. Man looked great. Man tasted great. What are they complaining about? Kilu Hashem has to stand up for himself, and say, guys, look at this. Learn from this. These people have everything. And they want onions. They have much more than onions. But that's the story of mankind. There's always something that you think you don't have. Sometimes you could have it all, but you could still think you don't have it. It's true, by the way. They didn't have onions and they didn't have garlic. It's true. But they didn't need onions or garlic. But there's always something. That means even if you have everything, you'll still think there's something missing. That's what happened by Yamsuf. And that's what happened by the man. And that's what happens by all of us. That's what the Havot Lavot is saying. That we're always one item away from reaching our happiness. And we really believe it. We really think that's why we're not Sameach. That's why. What do you want from me? How can I be Sameach if I'm missing this? How? But that's not an excuse. And it's not a reason. And it's a hopeless road because there's always something. I once attended a very powerful lecture 
that if I'm reporting it today to you, it means I still remember it from very, very many years ago. And the person speaking asked all of us to take out a piece of paper and to make two columns, one on the right and one on the left. On the right column, we're going to write down all of the things that we have. Well, it's not going to be enough on one page, but as much as we can. For example, you have parents, write it down. You have one parent, you had parents, write it down. You have children, write it down. You have friends, write it down. You have eyes that work, write it down. You have legs, you can walk, write it down. You have fingers that you can grab things, write it down. You have knees that you can bend, write it down. Just keep writing, keep writing. For sure you'll have, you'll need a notebook anymore. And just take the left column and write down some of the things that you're still missing. The mud on your shoes, write it down. Things that you still need in your life. He says, something amazing will happen after you look at your papers. Number one, the size of the column on the left is going to be very small. Whereas the right column is really endless. There's no ending, just keep writing. On the left side, everybody needs something. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe six. But at some point, you can't even think of things. So the, sh the list is much shorter and the value is much less. For example, what do you want? Uh, you want $10 million tomorrow in your bank account? Look at the right side. You have an eye? Would you trade that for 10 million? No. You wouldn't trade for a billion dollars. The value of each item on the right side is probably gonna way, way over the one on the left side. Just one-to-one. One. And here's what this man said. He said, if you have so many items on the right column and you're still not happy, what makes you think that if you got one more item, that's going to make you happy. That was a very powerful message. Because the right column is endless. And to convince ourselves that only one more thing we're doing is, again, I don't want to say ridiculous because we all, we all know that feeling. But intellectually, it is quite ridiculous.
to even think that that will be true. We say in the Haggadah of Pesach, one of the highlights of the Haggadah, is when we sing the song of Dayenu, which means it would have been enough for us. And we say things like, had Hashem split the Yamsuf, but He didn't actually take us through it, Dayenu. It would have been enough for us. Had Hashem took us and brought us close to Har Sinai with all that experience, Velo natalano eta Torah, but He didn't give us the Torah. Dayenu. It would have been enough for us. And every, every time you read to say, what? If Hashem split the Yamsuf and didn't take us through the Yamsuf, that would have been enough? How would that be enough? What would that accomplish? He brought us to Har Sinai, but didn't give us the Torah. How could that be enough? What are we saying? I mean, it's enough. It's not enough. Why are we saying that? The answer is that this Dayenu song is really trying to teach us a certain attitude in life. That you must, you must take each item in your life and realize just how special it is. We're not saying Dayenu as if to say it would have been fine. We're not saying that. We're saying it's enough for us to stop and be grateful and happy about it. We're not saying it's enough not to get the Torah, but we're saying that if we just got the Har Sinai and witnessed some of the great things that happened there, it would be enough for us to be sameach and happy and grateful and to be thankful. Because if you don't know how to say Dayenu, so you'll always have, we say, oh, it's up. You know, I once sat with a kid was very upset with his parents. Very. I said, don't you think your parents love you? I don't know. I said, you don't know? I said, did your mother change your diapers? I think so. Your parents give you money? They pay your tuition? They feed you? cook for you? So I think I have them. Like I'm starting to list a hundred things. And he says, yeah, but they didn't do that for me. And they didn't do that for me. And how about that? As if we're playing a contest of the things he could list and the things he's listing. That is the opposite of Dayenu. You see, the opposite of Dayenu is, so long as you're not giving me something else that I want, so I don't feel like you've given me anything. Because to me, if you don't give me the thing I need now, I can't even appreciate or think everything else because right now I'm not happy. 
because of what you're not giving me. It just somehow overshadows and puts a cloud on everything. Dayenu is the ability that even though someone didn't give you something, but you don't forget what they did give you. And that's something that all of us really have to work on. That's what the Hawad Allah is saying. The Hawad Allah is saying, because we're always on to the next thing, somehow the rest becomes this dark cloud of nothingness. All of my parents, what they did for me, right now it's not worth anything because there's this thing they don't want to give me. There's this thing that they're making me suffer. I need it and they won't do it for me. I can't deal with it. What about the rest of the things? Forget about it. As far as I'm concerned right now, that's worthless. That's what it feels like. The Yenu is the opposite of that. But this requires work. This meaning, this attitude. It's not going to happen because you came to a class. I promise and I give you my word. In many ways, walking out of this class is not going to cut it. Meaning, don't think because you walked out of this class, you now have the formula and you're done. You got it. I got the mistake. I'm ready to go. I think... I became a Dayanu Jew. And someone asked you, how did you become a Dayanu Jew? I went to class today. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It may be an inspiration for it. It may be clarity about the subject. But it doesn't do the job. Happiness takes work. Like everything good in life. No pain, no pleasure. You don't put in work, it's not going to automatically happen. The default of a human is to look for things to be unhappy about. That's the default. And a person has to work to get to the simha. That's how Hashem made it, because simha is a choice that we must make. It's part of our mission in life. It's part of our free choice. And therefore, we have to work to achieve it. Simha is an accomplishment. As, as we'll learn in the upcoming classes, it's one of the greatest accomplishments in life, maybe the greatest. But you got to reprogram your focus. You got to start looking at the things that happened and are happening and not the things that are yet to happen. Again, it doesn't mean you can't have ambition. Doesn't mean you can't want things. But your attitude has to be Dayeno. There's a Pasuk that Shalomo Melech says in Kohelet. I saw many explanations on this Pasuk, but I'd like to offer a new one that I didn't see. The Pasuk says, Lev Hacham Limino. The heart of the wise person is to his right. Velev Kesil Lismolo. And the heart of the foolish person is to his left. So obviously we all know that if these are the correct standards, we're all fools. Because nobody has their heart to their right. So who is this person that has his heart to his right? Lev hacham 
Limino. What does that mean? What is he saying? So there are a number of explanations, but according to what we're saying today, I think there's a very beautiful, simple explanation. You know, in Hebrew, we write from right to left. And on the right side are the things that already happened to us. The things that we write about that already took place. That's the right column. And the upcoming pages are to the left because they still didn't happen. Live hacham the heart and the focus of a wise person is to the right. To look at all the right column items. Lev Kesil, the foolish person, is always looking to the left, to the things that didn't yet happen, things that he's still waiting for to bring him his happiness. I once saw a children's book called The Happiness Box. I don't know if you ever heard of it. The Happiness Box. What is the story of The Happiness Box? Basically, the plot of the book is something like this. There's this boy that you probably have seen before was never happy. Whatever he has, he's never happy. He always has things to complain about. No matter what his parents do for him, no matter what he gets, he just always has something to complain about. One day, his family moves into this beautiful house. And all of a sudden, this giant package arrives. Huge box, this cardboard huge box. It's probably a washing machine or some other large appliance. And now the kid's suffering, of course, something is not for him. It's not nothing to do with him. A box came in and he's not part of it. His father convinces him though that the box really is for him and puts it in his room and tells him, listen, son, this is not a regular box. This is called the happiness box. And the kid's looking at his father like he's landed from Mars. What? It's called the happiness box. He says, whenever you sit inside and you follow the rules of the happiness box, it'll make you happy. What are the rules? Only one rule. When you sit in it, you're only allowed to think about the things that you have and the things that were given to you. Like think about breakfast, the eggs that you ate. Think about the hash browns. Think about yesterday's dinner or yesterday's game that you played. You're only allowed to think about happy things. And then this box has this miraculous way of making you a happy person. The kid's not running to 
to follow his father's instructions. He leaves it. It's in his room. He's not going inside of it. He has some doubt that this really works. Doesn't really believe it's going to happen. And then one day he's really feeling down. He says, you know something? Closes the door. No one should see. He says, let me try this thing. He jumps in the box. He tries to follow the rules. And it works. Can't believe it. This thing really works. Make a long story short, after a few days, a few weeks, the guy's living in the box. <laughs> He's loving this box. And after a while, now, kid's ready to go to camp. He's going for summer camp. He's packing all this stuff. His underwear, his bathing suits, his thing. There's no room for his box. He doesn't know what to do. How is he going to live without his happiness box? Until his father explains to him that it's just a regular box. It's not the box that made you happy. It's the rule that you followed. You focused on the things that made you happy. And that's what made you Samaya. I hate to bring a children's book into this class, but sometimes children's books are very deep and very telling of things that we all have to work on. I heard this from a great person and I've used it myself many times so I could quote myself as well. Sometimes you have men that like everything perfectly neat. I don't have a husband like that. Sometimes it's the opposite. So I had a couple come to me. One of the major issues between them is the husband likes everything perfect. Like when he comes home, he doesn't want a toy anywhere on the second, first, third, fourth floors. After he's somewhere in the basement, hidden out, as long as he can't see it. Everything has to be perfectly clean, set up right. And this woman, I guess, wasn't a, from the neatest people. And this became a constant issue, which led to other issues. So I quote the Rosh Hashiva that I heard this from. Who turned around to the fellow and told him, you know how many couples in the world would give their left arm or maybe their right one to have toys on the floor You know how many people would give anything to have a mess created by the kids in the house? That's a real fact. But again, 
if people can complain about mud in Yamsuf and about the man in the desert, they can complain about children that make a mess or children that make noise. It doesn't make sense. But then again, a lot of times we don't make sense. But we need to make sense if we want to make happiness part of our lives. There's a famous saying from the Depression time, almost 100 years ago. It goes something like this. I was sad that I had no shoes until I saw a man that had no feet. Very often in life, we find people who lost something that we still have. And of course, the first thing that we have to think about is compassion, sensitivity, prayer for those people. But we shouldn't forget to walk away reminding ourselves of just how lucky we are that we still have that kidney and we still have that arm and we still breathe normally and we still have a child and we still have and we still have we can't forget that in fact part of the reason that we're showing things in other people is to remind ourselves of what we still have of course, when we're missing something, it feels like everything. But we must refocus. Because the reality is that no matter what it is that we're missing, happiness is right there in the box. It's right there in our brains. Of course, one of the reasons why we always feel that the one thing that's missing is everything is because we feel entitled. We feel like, you know, we're supposed to have everything perfect in life. We're supposed to have parents who love us and house us and feed us and give us everything that we can imagine. We're supposed to have health. We're, su we're supposed to get married exactly when we're supposed to get married, when we want. We're supposed to have children right away and many of them, and it should be healthy too. And we're supposed to have parnasa, a lot of it, and we're supposed to have everything that we want, to the point that when something doesn't go exactly as we thought it should, we ask, why me? One person once asked me about something that went on in his life, and he kept saying, why me? Why me? And I told him, I want to ask you a question. For the last 35 years of your life, all you've been getting is beracha. I said, did you ever ask, why me? Did you ever stop and say, why me? Now you woke up and you're asking, why me? The reason is that we have this nature about us 
that we feel that it's coming to us. Why would I be happy about something that's really mine? If you gave me something that's mine, I, don't, I didn't get anything. What did I get? I get something I'm supposed to get. And when I don't get things, the opposite, I feel like they're taking something away from me. We must remember in our road to Simha and the road to appreciating what we have that we don't deserve anything. We're not entitled to anything. Zero. God doesn't have to make us. He didn't have to make us. He didn't have to give us anything. From the smallest to the biggest advantage, nothing. I mentioned, I meant, once mentioned this story to you. Obviously it's a mashal. Person goes out in the street and he sees his line of thousands of people waiting. He's wondering, what are they, what are, what are they doing? He asks somebody in line, what's this line all about? Why is everyone waiting? He says, there's a guy in the front. Anyone who comes to shake his hand, he gives him a check. hundred million dollars. Sure, yeah, I'm telling you, everyone, go shake his hand, hundred million. This guy hasn't seen a dollar in his life. Poor man. Guess what he does? He waits online. He's waiting, he's waiting, hours he's waiting. And he keeps looking. Each guy that shakes the guy's hand walks away with a certified check. Hundred million dollars. I can't believe already he's spending the money. He's already he's calling his travel agent. He's calling the realtor. He's he already spent ninety-five million of it. And finally, it's his turn. He doesn't just shake the guy's hand. He kisses the guy's hand. The guy writes him a check, $10 million. Walks away, looks at the check, can't believe it. He is destroyed. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's so mad, he's so angry. And the next guy, by the way, after he looks, 100 million. Now the guy's 100 million comes home, man, his wife sees him. Never saw him so angry before in her life. The guy's been fired a hundred times, he was never this angry. What happened? You know, man, nothing. What? What do you mean nothing? What happened? Nothing. Something happened, tell me. Nothing happened, here, you want, boom. Throws a check on the floor. Who knows, maybe she thought he threw him to prison. What, what, what's in the paper? She opens the paper. $10 million. She's not understanding. Why are you upset? You guys got $10 million. You haven't seen $10 million your whole life. You never dreamt of a million dollars. Ah, you'll never understand. What do you mean? You got $10 million. You won't understand. Worst day of my life. What? What are you talking about? 
supposed to be a hundred million. You know, it's a stupid story. I'm sorry to share stupid, stupid stories with you. But if not that we do it every day, when you share this story. This is a story of our lives. We're sitting on billions of dollars. And then when we're short, a hundred, what happened? Hashem owes us nothing. We know we didn't make ourselves. We didn't make anything in our body. It's all a gift. Worth endless amount. There's no price. Gotta focus on the right side. The right column. And when you realize that you're not entitled to anything, it'll make it easier to focus on all the things that we have. The Havot Levavot gives another reason why people are not excited and sameah, even though they have so much good in their lives. He says, Adam ba'im la'olam hazeh Humans come into this world keshehem domim and they're similar at that point in their life when they're babies lebehemot tipshot to foolish animals I mean, not just animals but foolish animals velahamor katan into a small donkey not even a mature one. Like the Pasuk says in Iyov, which means that a person is born like a wild animal. He says humans are born immature. And because they're immature, they don't have the capacity mentally to understand what they're receiving. You can't blame a child for not appreciating his mother who's feeding him day and night. He says, I want to appreciate your mother. Tell her thank you. What are you talking about? Even if you could talk, you wouldn't know what you're saying. Appreciation comes from a mature mind and children don't have it. So now you come into this world, each and every one of us came into this world and we just kept getting everything. We got sunlight, we got warmth from the sun, we got people helping us, we have a body that's serving us, we have food that we enjoy, fruits and vegetables, spices too. We have it all. Of course, we can't appreciate it. And then one day, we start to mature. And at that point, we're able to really appreciate when someone does something for us. But he says by then it's too late. Because we become so accustomed of the things that we have that we no longer can appreciate them. It becomes like a habit. It's a habit of not appreciating. If you haven't appreciated for 14, 15, 16, 17 years, 18 years, 
it becomes your habit. You know, we think of habits like drugs or alcohol or eating habits, but there's also habits in mindset, the way we think. We develop a habit of not appreciating, of not seeing the good things that we are getting. It became a habit. And by the way, this is not done by accident. It's done on purpose. Hashem doesn't make it easy for us to appreciate because then it wouldn't be, we didn't do it. Then He did it. He wants to give us the ability to choose happiness because that's our accomplishment. So He gives us this habit that puts us to sleep for 15, 16, 17, 18 years. But one day, we become mature. And we're supposed to look at things again, to recalculate, to see things for the first time as if. Of course, that takes work because habits are very hard to change. Ask anybody who smokes for many years, even if he's convinced, can't do it. So hard, I need help. That's why simha is so difficult because it needs work. Says the Havot Levavot, the reason why it needs work is because we have this habit of not appreciating what we have. To break habits needs work. He brings a beautiful mashal of a man who was such a kind person. He heard a little baby's voice crying and he went to find where that voice was coming from until he saw a little baby on the floor, left alone, abandoned. What's he gonna do with him? He took the baby into his home and brought him up like he was his own son, never even telling him. He gave him everything like his children. He put him through school, he gave him food, he gave him a home, he gave him everything. Till one day, the boy is 18, his father sits him down. Could you imagine that meeting? He says, son, I want to tell you something very important. You're not my son, and I'm not your father. What? I'm not your father. You're not my father. What do you mean? He tells him the story. You were abandoned. You were a few minutes or a few hours away from your death. And I took you in. I treat you like my son. Says the Havot Rebavot, that same man, that same day goes out and hears somebody, a man crying, help, help. And he goes to seize and he sees that people about to kill him because he owes them money. So he gets involved, he negotiates, and he rescues the man, brings him to his house, gives him a bowl of soup. Says the Havot Levavot, could you compare the kindness for the child of 18 years for the kindness to this man? This man, he spent an hour. That man, he spent 18 years. He gave him so much. Clearly, the kindness done for the young boy was so much more than the older person. 
But he says, probably the older person will appreciate it more. Because the older person saw the felt and felt the kindness when they were mature. He understood where he was about to go and who rescued him. He feels it. Whereas the child, even though he just learned about this man's kindness, but because he was so used to it for so many years, it's hard for him to appreciate it the same. Even though he got so much more. He's more like that child. But again, that's our mission, our goal. We have to jump that hurdle. We must break our habit. And that's what we say every morning. Every morning, when we make Birkot HaShachar, we ask or we say to Hashem, we praise Hashem, we thank Hashem that He gave wisdom into the world. Hashem didn't make us like rocks and like animals. We have chokhmah, we have wisdom. And yet who do we use as an example of the wisdom that Hashem gave in this world? We use the example of the sechvi, the, the rooster. Hanoten la sechvi bina what is so smart about the rooster? What great chokhmah did the rooster have in his life? Is that he knows the difference between day and night. So every morning we say, thank you Hashem for bringing wisdom into the world. And our representative of wisdom, we want to use an example. We use the rooster as the example. Look at the chokhmah that he has. Look, he knows day, he knows night. Every morning the light starts to come up. And he starts to scream. And obviously the question on this beracha is, why use a rooster? Is that the only chokhmah that we found in the world? Is that the greatest level of chokhmah? Now after all, what is the chokhmah? To know day and night? Can we express chokhmah in something much greater? Why are we using him? And I once heard a beautiful explanation that the rooster has a different kind of chokhmah. You see, the rooster, the first day of his life, he was mature. Imagine we would be mature the first day of our lives. Only Adam HaRishon was that way. But imagine we would have been born mature, like today. And all of a sudden, it was dark. That's all we saw in darkness. You can't see anything in darkness. And all of a sudden we saw this grand light bulb start coming up over the earth. We would go crazy. We would go wild. But what is that? What kind of light bulb is that? You know, all the light bulbs in the world can't match the light of the sun. One light bulb lighting up the planet while it's sending light to America, it's light in Israel at the same time. How big that light bulb is. And it's giving heat. And giving energy. Yeah. We would literally scream. We can't believe it. What is that? Well, guess what? The rooster, the first day of his life, does that. He goes nuts. He starts screaming. The second day of his life, he does it again. 
And the third day of his life, he does it again. You know, me and you, by the third, fourth day, we're like, okay. You know, been there, done that. Good, I got it. Okay, the sun, no big deal. But the rooster has the chokhmah to understand that when things happen more often, it's not a reason to be less thankful. If something happens to you more, that means there's more reason to be happy. There's more reason to be excited. And for the rest of his life, this rooster, every day, he sees the sun again as if he found it for the first time. That is a chokhmah that many of us are lacking and we need it if we want to find simha in our lives. We can't look at life through the lens of a two-year-old. We do that so often. You know, many people, when they pray today, they pray like they're in kindergarten. They open the book and they read words. The same way they were taught. They don't understand the word. They don't know what they're doing. And they're not even bothered by it. It doesn't bother them. But you're reading something. Why? What does it mean? What are you saying? Learn. At least ask. How come they don't even ask? You have people spending two hours a day on tefillah. And to their credit, they don't know what they're saying. They sit two hours reading. You take a Baal Teshuvah that never prayed in his life and put up a sidur in front of him and say, start reading. After five minutes, I don't think he'll go five minutes. He'll stop you and say, what is this? What am I doing? Why am I reading? Could you explain to me? What did I just stand up for? What did I go into my eyes? Why? What, what, what did I just do? Explain to me. What am I doing? How come a man could go 75 years every day, religiously, pray two hours a day in shul and never even ask the question? He never even asked the question. Answer is that we get to pray like we prayed when we were five. Habit. And we pray the same way. That's it. We don't ask questions. We can't find simha with that attitude. The sehvi is that representative of chokhmah that no matter how many times it happens, it's as special as it happened the first time. How does a person break the habit of not appreciating things? We learn from Rahel Imenu, actually this week's parasha, such a powerful message. Rahel Imenu, shalom. And she had a child. For the first time, Vatahar Vatelet Ben Vatomer, and she said, Asaf Elohim et Herpati Hashem has gathered in, meaning taken away, my disgrace. Finally, my disgrace is gone. What disgrace is she referring to? That the child that she has has now taken away from her. So simply, 
you would say it's the disgrace of not having a child. She goes to the park, other children are playing, her friends' children, she has no children. It can be very difficult. Now I have a child, Baruch Hashem. I can walk around with a child in my hand. But then Rashi brings a Midrash that's so hard to understand. The Midrash says, you know which disgrace she was referring to? Says Rashi, calls man she'en la'isha ben. When a woman doesn't have a child. En la bemir She has no one to blame. When something goes wrong in the house, when she messes up, there's no one to blame. Mishiyesh la ben. But if she has a child in the house, tolabo, she blames it on him. Before a child is born, someone broke something in the house, it's only her. But now, who broke this cup? Who ate my snacks? Before, it was only her. But now she could say, it's your son. Your son that I was taking care of. You know why this happened? I was, I'm exhausted all day working with your son. So she has a way to excuse herself. She says, Baruch Hashem, I have a child. My husband now can't blame me for everything. I have someone to blame. Thank God. And of course, the obvious question is, is this for real? Is that why she told Yaakov that if you don't have, if I don't get a child, have Ali Banim Ve'im Ayin Meta Anochi. I might as well be dead. That's why she want she wanted a child. Rahel Imenu is dreaming of a child because she feels she needs someone to blame in her house. Does that make sense? What's the Midrash saying? What is she saying? One of the explanations is that Rahel Imenu had many things to thank Hashem for when she got this child. Many things, like every woman. But she didn't allow the many things to overshadow even the smallest benefit. This too was a benefit. Even though you had much more, but this also was a benefit. Which Rahel Imenu is teaching us that if you want to appreciate the things, you have to look into details. Don't just say, Hashem. Hashem, thank you. A general thank you for everything. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's over. There's too much to thank you for. There's not enough words. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're making a mistake. Because if you want to break the habit, generalizing isn't going to cut it. You have to go into details. And I know I will say this and many people will ignore. But there might be one person who might just do it. But it's going to take just that. To get out of our habits. It's going to take buying a notebook and every day spending a minute 
not more than a minute, and filling out some more benefits, some more things that you have in life. And the more detailed you get, the greater you're becoming. Every day, take out your notebook, write down a couple of things. The first day will be easy. The first week will be easy. The next month will be a little harder. In a few months, maybe get more difficult. In a year from now, maybe it'll get very difficult. But that's how you get out of habits. You do every day. Take out your notebook and you write down a few things that you have so much to be thankful for. And you become like Rahel Imenu. That's why it says in the Gemara that when they thanked Hashem for rain that didn't come for a very long time. The Gemara says, What beracha do we make on this rain? We had a drought for so long. What beracha do we make? Says the, says the Gemara, We thank you, Hashem. We thank you, Hashem, for every drop of rain that you sent us. And we ask every drop. What does a drop of rain mean? What does that add up to? And the answer is, if you don't know how to thank Hashem for a drop, you can't really know how to thank Him for the rain. Because really, to thank Hashem properly and to understand the gratitude of the things that we have in life, to appreciate them, we have to look into the small details. One who thanks for the big things doesn't even appreciate the big things. It's where the small things, that's where they count. And I will finish by telling you that this, these exercises that we learned today, again, be warned, this class hasn't changed your life. It's only the follow-up. But a great reward will be your simha. Because simha doesn't come from having things. Simha comes when you know that you have something. There is a famous mashal. I'll give you an updated version of it. That the Kuzari gave to a question. He was asked, why is it that Hachamim made berachot? Before we eat, before we drink, berachot for what? If I was asked that question, I would think a very simple answer, like probably all of us. Thank Hashem, what do you mean? Berachot. He says, the berachot were given to us by Hazal so that we could enjoy life. He brings Imashal. Imagine a person who his friends, he has many friends, they got together and they decided for his 25th birthday they're going to give him a night of his life. 
his best foods, his best drinks, his best entertainment, his best everything. Top of the line evening. All the things he waits for. One night. And they're planning and planning. Of course, it's a surprise. Comes the day of his birthday. They pick him up. They got this big limo waiting. They knock on the door. He opens the door. And there he is. Stone drunk. Guy's drunk. Guy can't even walk straight. But everything's booked already. Paid for. There's no turning back. They carry him in the car and let the night begin. And beginning to end, what a night. They drop him back home. The next day they're waiting for his call. You know, you do something nice to somebody like that? You want to hear back from them? Thank you, wow, amazing. No call. Not in the morning, not in the afternoon, three o'clock, four o'clock, five p.m., nothing. Got even call. He didn't call any of them. They're getting a little upset. They decide, you know what? We're all gonna go together. They knock on his door, say, hey, nice to see you guys. Long time. Long time. They ask him, you have something to say to us? No? You have anything to say to us? Something? No? You're kidding, right? Last night. Last night? What was last night? You're kidding me, right? Okay. They had it all on video. They opened up the big screen, sit down. They started playing the night. One thing after another. And this guy is sitting there. Every time something good happens to him on the video, I was crying. The whole night he's crying. They told him, why are you crying? All night you're crying. He said, you don't understand. My whole life, I'm waiting for these things. My whole life, I'm waiting to eat like this, to drink like this, to be around these people, to hear this music. Finally, it happens to me. And I'm not around to enjoy it. I'm drunk. says the Kuzari that this is how we are in life. We walk around drunk, not thinking. So we have so many things, but because we're not thinking about it, we can't enjoy it. Having billions of dollars doesn't make you happy, only if you know about it. Imagine you have in your basement billions of dollars right now. Start digging, you might be there. But guess what? If it's there and you don't know about it, you can't enjoy it. Enjoying things, you have to know about it. You can have everything in your life that can make you happy, but you're drunk. Says the Kuzari. That's why Hamim say, wait, before you drink something, wait, 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 hold on. Stop. 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 Baruch Say, Wow. You're not a behemah. Don't just take it inside. Don't inhale the food. Stop and think what you have. So you can enjoy it. We learned today two reasons. Why 
we aren't as sameah as we should be. The first one is because there's always one thing, one thing that's blocking on happiness. There's always going to be one thing. You better look at the right side. And the second is because we have a habit that's been developed for so many years. We gotta change that habit. Get a book, start writing, detail after detail. Otherwise you'll be drunk and you can't enjoy all the benefits that we are living with every day. This will be our first step to reaching Simha in our lives. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.